How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Mel King, At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan. Bears, 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 bears. Football, football, football. You know what? I'd like to say you're wrong, Molly, but you're not wrong very often. David Hoff. That was one of the best questions you've ever asked. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to get an answer just as good. Chicago Sports Talk for your morning on 670 The Score, the home for Bears fans. Brad, based on what you wrote in the Tribune this morning and seeing what the Chiefs decided to do and not tagging Orlando Brown Jr., the left tackle, who's been to several Pro Bowls, how aggressively do you think the Bears will pursue him in free agency if indeed he is on the market? That's one that I'm not certain about yet. Orlando Brown is going to want a huge, massive payday. And I think talking to people around the league, he's a good player. He's not an elite left tackle. Dave, is that not like a gift to you to have a player, a four-time Pro Bowl player available at left tackle? One of these pro-grading organizations had Orlando Brown graded this past year as a very average performance. I mean, if I'm Ryan Poles, I'll say, I'll give you the money you want. Is this the guy we want? You know, is he the person? Is he the player? Start your mornings with Mully and Hawk, 5.30 till 10 a.m. Morning, Bears fans. Let's go to work. On 670 The Score. Man, Poles is playing this thing like a virtuoso so far. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Oh, goodness gracious. The NFL always delivers. Yesterday was another fun day in the NFL as they figured out the franchise tags and shocked the world turn after turn. Morning, Molly. Yeah, happy Wednesday. The NFL never sleeps. It always has something in a news cycle at this time of year that you look at and it can either apply to the Bears or it just stands out because of what it says about the state of the league, the quarterbacks on the go. There are three huge stories regarding quarterbacks in the NFL, and you can make the argument that one is the most important, any one of the three, Daniel Jones getting the money, Aaron Rodgers hosting the Jets, or Lamar Jackson being ignored. Yeah. Any one of those three, whichever you want, whichever one you think is the most significant, you could defend that argument. Mm, I totally agree. I think – I think it's really interesting to see how the league kind of manipulates people watching them. And not only that, David, how about this? Maybe the biggest NFL story for me, you know how I am. Mm-hmm. I like a door prize. I like to get up early on Black Friday and stand in line and buy 
a television, a couch, anything. You're the guy that they draw me in. Busting with. the door when they show the I, video on the on the news. I, you're the I guy used at the to front. Go, I used to go to Filene's basement and try to get a wedding dress, and I fight like hell for it. <laughs> I know. Just because there's a need. The and deals a were crowd, so good. That's all. You it know, is. and it was such I good didn't silk. Actually, I didn't need the wedding dress, but I got caught up in it. So now, now they're going to have a Black Friday game. I've got to, I got to figure out a way to buy a TV that I can watch while I'm in line for my other Black. Well, Friday first you got to figure out a way that we're not going to be working on Black Friday. Yeah, well, we're, we're, you know, that's <laughs> okay, not going to happen. I know. We're definitely going to have to work. We're going to be in. Yeah, we'll but be uh, but there is now on top of everything right. else, they got a Friday game. During the football season, and Amazon's giving it away for free. I love a freebie. <laughs> you can never have enough. There aren't enough days in the week to have NFL games in the midst of that season, even if it's Agreed. a holiday. Yep. And that—that that is just another example of a nation addicted to football. That's right. It just is. And we can fight it. We can resist it. We can talk about other stuff if you wish. But we keep everything is going to go back to the NFL. The arguments about... Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. the the opinions about Aaron Rodgers, and in New York today, what a dilemma on the back pages. They can talk about the Danny Dimes now being worth 180 million, or Aaron Rodgers becoming, you know, part of the green machine. Yeah, I well, I think that they're going to regret that contract for Danny Dimes. I, I really do. Okay, let, let's fill in the, the details mm-hmm. because I, I know what you're saying. It's but- a four-year deal for $160 million, um, 35 more available in incentives. So he can get to like 195 over four years. Yeah, I, I saw I, I, the range is between 160 and 190. I think somebody else said 180. It's a lot of dough. And I understand why you would say that he is he put them in a position to regret that contract. I would ask you this. What choice did they have? They didn't have a choice. And I think that when you talk no. about value of players, the answer is different in every city on every roster. Daniel Jones doesn't seem, from the outside looking in, like a $180 million quarterback. But to the New York Giants, he is because they hired Brian Dable. Right. And they're keeping Saquon Barkley. And they're on the verge of, a team, they're on the verge of taking that next step. You you couldn't maybe if you you make the argument you can't afford that but you couldn't afford not to take that chance and to bring him back in my opinion so I do I do think he's overpaid but it, to 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 the New York Giants he has more value than he would any other team in the league so he's really not overpaid based on the marketplace yeah I and, and I mean you know part of the appeal of getting that deal done was it then allowed them to franchise Barclay. So it, it, you know there was a double whammy going on there and we knew about it all along. I'm just saying David that 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 as an incentive um the player himself ask, ask uh, Jaquan Brisker what he thinks of it. <laughs> that was that was surprising. That was really surprising. I, I mean Jaquan Brisker went on the Twitter machine for those not aware and questioned the wisdom of the signing. Let's just put it that way. Well, he didn't have a great game against the Bears. They they won the game, uh, but he did most of his damage. I think he had 68 yards rushing, and he had a couple of uh, touchdowns rushing. He did not – what did he throw for? It was terrible. 
So he's laughing at the but, idea that a but, guy like that is getting he paid. He hit the ball like Houdini. Yeah. He did whatever yeah. he wanted against the Bears because he duped them into thinking, oh, here it is. No, there it isn't. And I'm going to run wherever I want. I'm just telling you they're going to regret that deal. Well, it's a lot of money for a guy who's a fairly mediocre quarterback. I, I get it. I understand why they paid him. I understand the trick box they got themselves into. And by doing that, they can keep their team together and move forward, and they feel like they made great progress and all of that. I just wonder, I do wonder if that was the wisest move for that franchise to make. Okay. This, for people, this is what Jaquan Brisker tweeted out. Quote, other bro got paid today and his trash fam. Hashtag facts. He's okay. trash. trash. He got paid so, and he's trash. So, okay, that, I just needed to establish that as what we're talking about. Molly, I don't, I don't disagree necessarily, and I, I don't want to sound like the Daniel Jones defender, but in the current the, – the, the way that the, – this is what the league benefits from as, you know, they, they have this structure in place where it's either or. You know, they couldn't they – couldn't, bring Daniel Jones back. If they brought him back and they they franchise tagged him, you know what he would be worth? Like 35 to $45 million next year. And then you're talking about potentially losing Saquon Barkley, and then you're not taking advantage of your championship window in their minds. Right. I Listen, I get it. But, but, I'm but just saying it, that's, a, that's a lot of dough for a fairly mediocre guy who you were moving on from not that long ago? You're you're prepared, and and now you now you're you're kind of now you're waiting for him to mar- matriculate. Let me ask he's you this: got a four it, year deal in the New York market. Do you think that the pressure, if you want to call it that, or how how intense do you think the pressure was? You're in a market where Steve Cohen is setting the bar right to unreachable levels in Major League Baseball, but he's creating this mindset which New Yorkers are very comfortable with. Spend at any cost to to do what you need to do to win a championship or compete for one. And here are the Giants who took a step. Hey, it's only money. It's only money. It's only money. So let's sign Daniel Jones. Let's continue this continuity. And if you're Joe Shane, the young general manager, you're in the trick bag here. Because no, no question. What, what else are you going to do? Yeah, no, I, I understand why they did it. And as I said, I, I kind of get it. Um, but we, we have a texter here who says that deal feels like a Cutler extension. You're kind of in a trip bag. You got to do something. You got to, you know, so you decide to kind of go along with what you have and let's see where it ends up. I, I'm just telling you, just us talking. Yeah, I don't think that I, ends well. I get it. I, I don't, I don't know that it ends well either because the only way that it just that you can justify this is if they get to the Super Bowl. Yeah. If they win the NFC, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. The only difference I'd say before we move on, Jay Cutler wasn't drafted by the Bears. So it's almost uh, th- that's worse. Yeah, he got his third extension from the Bears. That, that, I had no problem with the Bears giving him an extension when they signed when they traded for him. They had to do that, but that it was the it was the next extension that was the problem. And and I think anytime you see a the quarterback that's drafted, developed, and then paid, yes, and you have a situation here in Chicago where you've got a quarterback that's been drafted, they're trying to develop him, and just wait till he gets paid. Yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, listen, <laughs> just wait. It's a big year for him. It's a big year for the franchise. Uh, we'll see what happens. But it does, to me, underscore uh, the run on the bank when it comes to quarterbacks, that that first overall selection has a lot of value. No doubt about it. Now, now let's, let's move on to behind door number two. Let's contrast that with what a quarterback isn't making. That, to me, is really an interesting one. 
because you have to now make an investment. Let's say you, let's say, and, and a lot of teams are already pulling out, and it it smells weird. And I think we'll get into that. But talking about Lamar Jackson, about Lamar Jackson getting franchise tag, not just franchise, but the non-exclusive franchise offer. So that means make 30, us a deal. Thirty-three point four is that what it is? Thirty-two point four million dollars. I'm sorry. Yep. Thirty-two point four million is the, the amount of money he'll get next year under the non-exclusive cap. You can sign him. They still have the right of first refusal. You can sign him. The 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 exclusive tag is worth over forty five million. Mm-hmm. So they save thirteen million. You can sign him to a contract, and then they have a right to match it. So you're doing the legwork for him because they can't get through to him for whatever reason. He wants everything guaranteed, and uh, and you lose two first round picks if they let him go. So the value of the player. I think he's worth $32.4 million in this market. I don't know if he's worth 32.4, and, and that's just a number, um, but and two first-round picks. That That is a lot well, that you're paying and a lot of your future that you're throwing into that deal, and there are, there are already teams saying no. Let's go back to, though, what we always talk about in terms of every situation – will be different, and every team is going to answer that question differently. So $32 million and two first-round draft picks, yes, it's too much to pay for a team that might feel like they can win another way or they have already been to the playoffs in in recent memory or maybe they're a perennial contender. But if you're desperate, if you're desperate, if I'm the Atlanta Falcons as an example. They've already pulled out. I know they have. They have reportedly pulled out. Yeah. These reports can always change, and I think that they probably, you know, somebody in Atlanta needs to rethink this because my opinion would be, you're the Atlanta Falcons. You've got to feel a level of desperation. Two first-round draft picks and a guaranteed contract for the quarterback, which is the sticking point, which is the sticking point. But even if it's $32 million next year and two first-round draft picks, for a quarterback entering his prime and a former MVP, where else are you going to get that? Okay, where else and are you gonna I'm find not, that? I am not arguing with that. I, you know, I I hold the guy in great esteem. I just think that because of the style that he plays, he's not done well in the playoffs, and he's been banged up a couple of times here. Right? That's just the reality of the style of quarterback that he is. So I think that might give a team hesitation. There's also talk, Mister David, and we'll get into this that maybe the only team that would be willing to jump in here would be the commanders with Daniel Snyder because he could be forced to sell. He may want to throw a poison pill in the well on his way out. Like, uh, oh, here's, I'll guarantee you everything you want. But the NFL wants to reverse that market, and they're especially careful about guys that are carrying the ball a lot and getting a lot of hits, and he may just – he may just want to foul the punch bowl enough to sign a guy like that, guarantee the money, give up the picks, and then sell the team. Go ahead. You want to buy the team? That's the Here's kind a $200 of, million dollar guaranteed contract you're, you're stuck with. You're stuck with well, this, and I look what I did to my, my fellow owners. They're stuck with that contract. They're stuck with guaranteed money. I mean, that, there, that, there that, are that, owners that want to push back what happened with Deshaun Watson. That that adds a really intriguing layer to this drama or intrigue because of the suggestion that you have one group of owners trying to push back against a guaranteed deal that the Browns were foolish enough to give Deshaun Watson. And by the way, 
The Cardinals, not to the extent that the Browns gave Deshaun Watson guarantees, they gave Kyler Murray some guarantees, which shouldn't be ignored in this conversation either. But you've got a group of owners that that we are, not to say accusing, but maybe alleging or implying, colluding together to stay away from the guaranteed contract that Lamar Jackson seeks without an agent, okay? Yes. I get it. Yes. So Daniel Snyder could come in here and say, I'm the rogue guy. Everybody knows that. I'll sign him. I want him. We'll give up whatever's necessary because that will make it more awkward for somebody who buys the team because nobody wants to pay this guaranteed money. I, but it, that that would almost I, I just require love that idea. Though it, it, you got to admit, there's a it, little kind of uh, the, so there's some Washington yes, Beltway intrigue yes, surrounding yes, that. Yes, there's that's a couple steps down the road. I don't know. Right. I want to give him that much credit for being that clever. I I it's been mentioned. It has been mentioned. I don't know how clever he is, but that that possibility from a football perspective, though, if you're Ron Rivera, that would help. Are you kidding? I don't understand the football argument against Lamar Jackson in today's NFL. I just don't. I, I understand the the idea of guaranteed money to someone who carries the ball, the idea of adding draft picks to that to someone that has had a couple of uh, injuries. I, I mean, I get the argument. I get the argument. I think what you're saying is really interesting. He's so good. He puts you in the playoffs and then it comes down to whether or not he can perform when you get to that point. There's an implied risk to every job for but, an NFL general manager. And and I think that's what we're talking about here. What general manager feels yes. that he can convince his ownership yeah. group or his owner chance. to take this chance. Yeah. And every and, and I, I always go back to what Dave Wanstead talks about in terms of the window of opportunity. We always talk in terms of, well, five to seven to ten years. That's unrealistic. When you're talking about getting a team to the playoffs in a position to compete for a Super Bowl, I really think it's two to four years. In, in today's NFL. Do you think that the Rams regret going all in and paying everything? Not a minute. They pay? Not one they bit. They won the Super Bowl. And, and that's the example I it look worked. at. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, okay, they're unloading uh, Leonard Floyd, right. and, and they have to get rid of everybody who, who mattered yep. or who, who makes a lot of money. They don't care. No, they, they don't. don't care. No, they're doing it from a position of strength because they won. So the next, the next team, and it, it, say he doesn't stay with the Ravens, because they're inviting people to make them a deal. The next team that gets Lamar Jackson automatically thinks that they're going to put themselves in a position to compete for a Super Bowl in the next two to four years because his durability doesn't allow you to go beyond that. Right. So you're gonna you're going to, by definition, overpay for that period of time. And once you accept that as an owner, I think you're more aggressive in the way you're gonna approach it. And and again, I, I have no problem with a team choosing to do that, but you do have to be aware that you are giving up the draft pick capital in addition to the amount of money you're giving up. And if it goes awry, you're you're going awry for a long time. If you're Arthur Blank, do you trust your do you trust your general manager to take to make the most use and maximize those two first round draft picks, which would be future first round draft picks, or do you want your football coach, who's supposedly this offensive minded genius, to get the most out of Lamar Jackson now? I, I honestly believe, and I, I mean, we can talk about a lot of different owners in a lot of different ways, but I believe that Arthur Blank in particular is going to also weigh the idea that he is a good partner, that, that he is part of a collective and they are making money together. And if, if, if there is a secret agreement to hold the bottom line, I think if you look 
at Arthur Blank, and I've told you this. I've I've met him uh, at the uh, in Mobile, turned around, and there was a man who was manicured like the White House lawn. <laughs> this is a man without a hair out of place right. that looks. He is put together like a professional businessman who is going to carry water it, it, for it, the the whole entity. What the you're describing. Itself. Is an old guard NFL owner. That's what, and, and, and I know he hasn't been at it as long as a lot of guys. But he's going to defend the old guard. And he wasn't born to it. But that's the kind of guy he is. He's not a guy I'd worry about going rogue if I were a partner of his. See, that is a very insightful comment, though, an observation because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the appearance of collusion. Oh God, yeah. And if the Falcons, as the prime example here being a team that doesn't want to jump in with both feet at the chance of getting somebody in the NFC, which is wide open, that could tilt in a division that is winnable. That division is about as wide open as any division in football. They have the most to explain about how this isn't collusion because they also have an owner that is historically aggressive, and now they're going to stay away from a franchise player like this. And look, we're already getting texters, 773. When Justin Fields comes up for the contract, I wonder will you guys feel the same way, same kind of player. Talk to us then. Find out how open the window is for the Bears at that point. Find out what he's accomplished in 2023. You can't have that conversation now. You can have a hypothetical conversation, but we're talking about Lamar Jackson MVP. We're talking about a guy who, yeah, has had durability questions, but he's on the market. He's there for the taking. If you're an aggressive GM, you want to change your franchise, make a deal. All right, we got to get to the pick six, but before we do, we got to talk about the third one, maybe the most intriguing one, because you're talking about – a guy in Aaron Rodgers who is, he is, I, I don't want to, I want to be careful about how I say it because I don't believe he's uncontrollable. I don't believe that, that he, but he's a free thinker. And so part of getting him under contract, part of making a deal for him, you've got to trade for him. You've got to think about the money it's going to cost. You got to think about the commitment that he's willing to make. Now, is he worth it? He's an MVP player. He just recently had two had back-to-back MVP seasons, followed by a, a, a bad year, which, again, at, as his age kicks in, you always worry that it's nearing the end. But for a team like the Jets, they're being super aggressive, and he's the answer. He could be a real answer for them, depending on all these other factors. And I think it's important – to be able to convince him to be a part of it and fully bought into it. Make and him I'm feel not loved. Sure, but I'm not sure he's there yet. Well, I don't know I, that he all. is. Anyway. I, I don't know that he is yet either. We have no idea what his state of mind is. Yeah. But if you're the New York Jets, you're doing it the right way because you have to be able to, if not embrace, understand his idiosyncrasies. No question. And he's got more. He leads the league in those because this is a guy that is as – as mysterious as any franchise quarterback could be, and they're doing it the right way, does he want to play? And if he doesn't want to play for New York, does he want to play for anybody? Listen, the other element, and that's a great question, David. You have to get that. The other element is, you know, as we both know, you know, this is not, this is not the feel-good, everybody-wants-to-be-a-buddy beat, okay? <laughs> this is the New York media. So you're sharpening knives and you're waiting for a guy to turn up. And in, if he missteps, if he's just starting to blame somebody else, if he makes errors and is not accountable, 
there will be accountability. I mean, this is a different animal altogether for a guy that has been operating in the hinder. What you're saying is it's not a market that's going to take too kindly to him speaking once a week on his chosen platform. Well, I, I mean, he'll get he'll get tortured if he does just that, right? If right. He, if he doesn't right. include everyone and, and then thinks he's going to talk and, to and the And if you punter. think that doesn't affect the product on Sundays, you're not paying attention. You don't understand the NFL today because Aaron Rodgers going into the New York market, it's more than just joining the Jets. It's changing his lifestyle and it's changing his mindset because he has been in Green Bay and had the luxury of not having to worry about such things over the last 15 years. That changes immediately once he puts on the other kind of green. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> That's well said. All right, we've got uh, we've got the pick six. We're going to go through all these stories. We're going to pick apart everything. All the key stories of the day. It's Molly and Hodge, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Hall, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Hall. Pick 6 with Mully and Hall starts now. Please breathe in deeply through your nose. Do you smell it? Do you smell collusion? How else do you explain Lamar Jackson getting the non-exclusive franchise tag from Baltimore? And immediately there are teams vowing that they are not interested, including the Falcons. Are you buying the idea the Ravens are willing to pay Jackson $32.4 million rather than exclusive number of about $13 million more because they are carrying the water for the league and fellow owners? Appreciate it. Wow. I mean, you know, I, I got to tell you, Collusion is a strong word, um, and I de- I'm getting a sniff of something. I don't know who's been in the studio. I'm not sure it's collusion. I don't, I don't know if that's collusion. That's- <laughs> Could be cologne. Uh, <laughs> but, that'd be, uh, by the way, that'd be great a name for a new cologne. Collusion. Collusion. Yeah. Smells like corruption, but better. <laughs> Toilet water gone but now we got to get into who's the artwork, who's uh, on the cover of the file. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Yeah, um, yeah, collusion. That would be a great scent. Uh, okay, the uh, the Ravens are drawing a line here with um, with Lamar Jackson. They could not come to a contract, a resolution. He wants all guaranteed money, and they and the league does not want that. The league doesn't want every quarterback getting guaranteed money, and so the the the, uh, the Ravens are following what the league wants. Uh, and now, therefore, other owners are going to follow what the league wants. And the fact that there doesn't appear to be this, like, incredible market for a former league MVP is insane to me. Still a young guy. Still a lot of future in front of him. I get it. You not only have to pay money, 
you have to guarantee all of it, and then you got to throw in a couple of first-round draft picks. That is a that's a big-ticket item. But look around the league. How many quarterbacks out there are as good as Lamar Jackson? How many quarterbacks out there will immediately make you a contender the way that Lamar Jackson can? So I I I do think something is rotten in the state of Denmark. To quote Hamlet. I mean, something seems to be up. I think I'm more upset, if you will, about the teams lining up immediately that aren't supposedly interested. Now, these are reports until it's for sure, but they, I mean, these people are locked in. I'm not discrediting the reporting that's going on. I mean, the Falcons seem like such an obvious, and, and they're number two behind the Bears in cap money. Like, they have they have money to, to spend as well, and, and Lamar Jackson will put a lot of fannies in that dome on Sundays. I, I doubt that dome is sold out uh, on most Sundays. If I, help had, him win. if I had to guess. And he's going to help him win. Now, th- there are some issues. When, when you have to pay him, he's going to eat up a, a big part of that available cap. So, okay, let, let's see. Let's see who really wants him. Let's see who's willing not only to give up the two first-round picks, but also is willing to sign him because that's part of it as well. Uh, you, you run out of money eventually. So, again, I think that the blueprint is you you get the guy in the first round, the quarterback in the first round on that rookie deal, and you build around him. That seems to be the way you win a Super Bowl right now. It does have the whiff of collusion. There's no doubt about it. When you consider the teams that need quarterbacks and the teams that are reportedly out of the running for Lamar Jackson barely after he got onto the open market or was able to be available via trade, the Falcons, the Dolphins, the Panthers – the Commanders, the Raiders, all five of those teams reportedly aren't interested in Lamar Jackson. Why? Name me one of those teams I just mentioned that couldn't look at Lamar Jackson as a pathway to the playoffs. Look at him as a a reason to believe you're going to be contending for a conference championship in the next two to four years. And if you're not thinking that way in the NFL, you're doing it wrong. So I also think there's something personal that goes beyond the professional relationship between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, there's got to be. There's got to be something that is broken down there. I do want to say also the lack of an agent has got to had yep. to have contributed to this. I know it didn't hurt Roquan Smith, but you know what? It's different when you're the quarterback. It's different when you have history with the team. Some things build up and some things need to be resolved or put aside. That's this is screaming for a resolution here. This is screaming for somebody who's good at conflict conflict resolution. Agents typically are. He could use a good agent here because he needs to cut through the mess, and he needs to have somebody who is asking these questions about collusion with these other teams. When it's time to cheat and deceive, arm yourself with collusion. <laughs> you know, when you listen to this question, you look at the big picture – That's the voice of Tom Thayer. He'll join you guys at 9 o'clock this morning. Now that the franchise tag deadline has passed, Chiefs left tackle Orlando Brown Jr. and defensive tackle Draymond Jones are expected to hit the open market. Can we assume that the Bears are uh, top priorities are those two guys? How conceivable is it that they pursue both? What's Ryan's poll's plan, or has he somehow kept that to himself? I feel like calling Peter King and seeing if he told him that plan, too. I'm going to get the top two free agents. I'm confident in that. No, I I think that if you are Ryan Poles and you're the Bears and you have 
the luxury of more than $90 million in salary cap room. It doesn't mean you have to spend all of it, but it does mean that you have to be aggressive going after players that will help you upgrade at key positions. Orlando Brown Jr. to me is a no-brainer. He's at the top of your wish list. He's at the top of your priority list this week going into next week's free agency. I also think that Draymond Jones, because of reasons Big Z articulated yesterday on our show, when you're looking for a three-technique tackle in the middle of that defense, the engine for the 4-3 scheme that Matt Eberflus loves, yeah, he makes sense. Go after both. You can afford to structure uh, your your payroll accordingly, and you have the room under it to kind of fit both. And if you fall short on one or the other, so be it. Move on to plan B. But your plan A has to be ambitious, uh, aggressive and intelligent and I think this would be intelligent spending to go after two guys because we keep on saying it you don't get back to the playoffs and and respectability by going and get the shiniest toy and the best running back or wide receiver you start from the ball on out and your left tackle and your three technique are two very big priorities they should be the the biggest ones at the top of the list for Ryan Poles yeah you know it's uh you have to make decisions in every franchise. You know, you always look at it and say, why are these guys available? You know, with Orlando Brown, I, th- I suppose you look at it, you say, does he fit their blocking scheme, right? Does he fit what they want to do in terms of having guys that uh, they can uh, get out in space and uh, have like a different style of block? I think, I think if a player's a good player, he fits anywhere, and I think – this is a guy that would fit here. I also think that uh, when it comes to uh, Draymond Jones, uh, I mean, you're going to get 5.5 sacks on average from him since he came into the league in 2019. Still a young player, still has a chance to grow. I don't know. You know, that seems like a lot of sacks given the lack of production from that defensive line a year ago. So I would I would add him. Here's the tricky part that I think is interesting. The Bears do have to spend money. They are in a position where they're going to have to spend some of that money. So I would get it. If I'm going to spend money and I have to spend money, I would do it on frontline starters, guys that I know are going to come in and start and be an impact player for me. I don't know if they're going to get as much bang for their buck uh, as you want, but they're going to get some. And these are guys that belong starting in the NFL. I would pursue both these guys. I think it's a really good idea, and I'll be very curious again. You know, the, the, the joker in the pack here when it comes to Orlando Brown in particular is that Poles was there and does know the guy. So if he chooses not to go after him, that tells me something too. Well, that will explain a ton what you just said there, Mully. And, and it, it makes sense. Listen, they definitely need an offensive tackle. Do they need a left tackle or do they need a right tackle? But they definitely need a tackle. They definitely need defensive line help do they need more help on the inside or do they need more help on the outside the answer is probably both you know the other position and I've been banging this drum for a while and I think they've got one really good one but they think they're still he's young and he wasn't durable like could they use a corner in free agency you know could the corner they had drafted last year high end up being more of like a nickel type of guy and I know then you'd say well that would be a fail Maybe, but you need three in this day and age in the NFL, you need three cornerbacks. So I'd rather spend the money and spread it out a little bit than to back up the truck for Orlando. I'd draft a corner. I might buy one too, but I would draft one first. Good good point, though. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good question. 
How long before we have a serious disagreement on who the best center fielder in town is? Luis Robert Jr. or Pete Crow Armstrong? Is that a future argument you look forward to having? Uh, absolutely. I, I can't wait for that. Pete Crow Armstrong was great yesterday. I watched some of that game. I also watched some of the White Sox, and, of course, uh, Luis Robert wasn't there. I taped that game. So when I go home, I'm going to watch the Cuban team. You taped the WBC? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I taped it. It's, it was above, on at like 11 o'clock at night, I think, right? I don't know. I, okay, I didn't tape it. I wasn't it. even I aware that it was on. It. I'm <laughs> going mean, I'm, I'm to catch grief again for saying taped. I recorded it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I've been kind of uh, monitoring this stuff. So Luis Robert is, 20, is 25 years old, and Pete Crow Armstrong is 20, right? So... I, I mean, by the time that uh, Pete Crow Armstrong gets up here, probably another – he looks like he's ready to go, but probably another year, maybe two, believe it or not. Um, I, I, I would think that we will have a, uh, a discussion about that, but I would hope that Robert is well-established as uh, a breakthrough player this year and on his way to a potential Hall of Fame career by the time uh, Pete Crow Armstrong – arrives so it's just two years of mvp caliber play and then let's have that discussion i hope we're having that argument this year and another name is involved cody bellinger i'm hoping that cody bounces back in a big way if he does then pete crow's not coming anytime soon well but maybe cody moves to a different position maybe if pete crow right field is playing so well well i mean left, left field first base i mean bellinger could play first base i mean do they have a future at first base i know matt mervis but i like he might that. be two years away i like right that. Yeah. so um there, there's lots of things here but that th- these are good things these are good these will be fun arguments i always look forward to a good cubs white Sox argument if you've tuned into this show did you see that catch it was great i mean that's it, yesterday it reminded you of luis robert <laughs> it reminded me of Jim Edmonds diving. This guy does it. Afraid of the crowd. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll stick to the current day Cub, and and we'll we'll stay in the present, not the past. Pete Crow Armstrong, if he can hit even a little bit, is going to be an asset at Wrigley Field sooner rather than later. I don't know if he's going to be the best center fielder in town. I think one day he probably will be that guy. I don't know how much you rush him to the big leagues. I hope they don't because. Once he's here, he's here to stay, and I think he's going to be special. He catches behind his back. He catches diving. He catches everything within the area code he can get to and then come down with. This guy is fun. He's got a personality we're going to love. We're going to love here in the Chicago sports media. Luis Robert, I think, has the same kind of charisma. It's harder to, frankly, know that because of his limitations in communicating because of the language barrier. But I think that they are very similar in that they both can play defense in a way that makes you say, wow, and they both have that charismatic element that makes you want to watch them and you can't take your eyes off of them. Now, I think Luis Robert is more dynamic and dangerous at the plate. If Pete Crow Armstrong can develop that tool, it's going to be a great argument. But right now, there's no debate. I think Luis Robert Jr. has a higher ceiling, but Pete Crow Armstrong can still catch him, and it's going to be fun to watch him try. It's, it's appropriate to ask these questions this time of year. It's also probably the worst time to ask these questions. White Sox pitcher Mike Clevenger spoke to reporters on Tuesday about vindication. Do you feel like you've been sort of vindicated in a way? 
I guess you could say that. I mean, it's just a, this is a bad situation. It's just a devastating situation at the end of the day. I'm just trying to move forward. I want to focus on baseball now, focus on, you know, helping this club win and, you know, looking forward to, like, helping my family heal from this. Clevenger vindicated? Is this really over now? Well, I hate questions that help the person you're asking answer them. I hate questions that supply words for somebody answering. So the question was, do you feel vindicated? Of course he's going to say he feels vindicated. He, he's, he promised he would be exonerated. Pick a verb, but don't put words in his mouth. Here's a question I would have asked him. Here's a question I wanted to know. What did you tell the White Sox when you sat down to sign a contract and were negotiating? And why didn't you let them know this was around the corner? Did, did this come up? And if not, why? Were you trying to conceal something? Were you trying to cover up something? You were already the source of an investigation. And how did this investigation come about? How do you explain these images? If you are vindicated, how do you explain what your accuser is alleging publicly and loudly? And do you fear that this is the end of or that this isn't the end of it? And do you think that there is going to be another element to this? Whether it's civil litigation or otherwise, are you done with this? And in, until you are, can you fully feel vindicated? I don't know, but these questions weren't asked. That's bothered me as much as anything. I understand that we're focusing on him pitching every fifth day. He can be an asset to the White Sox on the mound. This is a baseball conversation. I don't think it's only a baseball conversation, though. Certainly not my first crack at Mike Clevenger. Not when I can finally ask him a question that I've been dying to know for the last three weeks. How does this not get asked? That's what I want to know. Okay, I get it. It's not comfortable. It's very uncomfortable having to deal with this, to talk about this, and to face him after not having him available. But you got to ask the question. Totally agree with everything you said there, David. you got to ask the question. The other part of it is I don't know that you can be vindicated when you've agreed to go and be interviewed and sit down with different groups and 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 agree to any kind of um, treatment or programs that they suggest you do after you talk to them. So it's not like it's not like the whole thing was made up. It, it was alleged, but it, it's not like he's completely, you know, vindication would mean that, that that it was over over. And it's it's not over over. And I'm sure there's probably, I'm guessing, I'm assuming there's still like a civil thing going to be involved. So this this is not over. I, I've got fatigue of this whole thing. And, you know, here, here's what's going on. Clevenger is going to make a start on Saturday against the Padres in Peoria, Arizona. That's the news on Mike Clevenger at this point. Uh, Mike Clevenger said of his team, uh, they've been supportive. He's talking about his fellow players. They've been supportive. I feel bad they had to answer any questions. I'm ready for them not to have to answer to this. I finally will be able to get 100% concentration on rest, recovery, weight room, and on the field. So that's it then, right? Mike Clevenger has deemed it's over. Um, yeah, are you gonna, are you gonna, you know, give the woman her possession? Whatever the arguments were about things she was seeking, are you are you paying child support? Um, I mean, you know, you're linked to these people forever you realize that right because you've got you've got to take care of your children um i'm glad it's over for him i'm glad that he's really feeling good about life and it feels vindicated i'm disappointed that he wasn't asked some of those questions i mean is it like hey um 
Do you drop acid? Is that one way of getting around a drug test? Is that a common practice in the league? I, I, I don't think anyone's going to say that, but I mean, that doesn't, I wonder that. I wonder, hey, you know, if you're, if you're pitching every five days and you're bored, do you just drop acid? Is that how it's done? I, I'd be curious to get an answer from the guy. I mean, this, I'm with you, Dustin. This story is awful. And, um, I'm, you know. But, but you, you'd both agree. I, I'm as tired of it as anybody, oh, I, I, but, but you, we, we can't ignore it. No, and I don't, I don't know where you would come to the conclusion that no one's going to ask about it again. I don't believe that that is even remotely, you know, this, you know, you're, you're, um, the, the, the second graph of your obituary is written, pal. Okay. The most pressing question is. Bob Nightingale's USA Today's story Tuesday started by describing Tony LaRusa taking notes in Jerry Reinsdorf's suite before becoming a series of quotes about player responsibility. Do you expect LaRusa to have any influence on this team or season? And what is he taking notes for? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I hope it's for himself. Um, I don't know. I mean, Listen, it, it is – I read that story, and it didn't really do much for me. I think it's super weird. I mean, I guess he's going to he's gonna take notes. He wants to give, you know, hey, Pedro, here, let me tell you some observations I have. Or is it you give them to Jerry so Jerry can then go and tell Kenny, who will tell Rick, who then will tell Pedro? I don't know. I, I mean, it, the idea that he's still sitting um, – in the owner's box that he's still, you know, I mean, God bless Tony. I hope he's healthy. I, I don't wish ill upon any man. Um, but, I mean, the idea that he holds any sway over this team is a sad story to me. Sad. You know, here's the thing. Note-taking, right? Everybody's got a boss, and sometimes your boss asks you to take notes. And I'm guessing that Tony took the notes because Jerry asked him to take the notes, asked him to report back on what he was like. I don't think, I don't think LaRusa took the notes and then said, Hey, Jerry, look what I'm, look what I've uncovered. Look what I'm doing for you. He's on the payroll. Jerry's probably one of those old school guys where he, you know, I'm paying you. So I'm going to get something out of you, right? You're on, you're on the books for whatever it is. And so I've got an assignment for you. I've got a project. I want you to sit back in the golf cart and be around camp and observe, stay out of the way. You're not instructing. You're not saying. You're just. You're just here. You're just around. Um, I found the story very interesting. We had an interesting conversation before the show got going this morning about the story that we may or may not get into later on. We'll, we'll leave it there as a tease for you, the audience. Um, but no, I don't think. I don't think Tony Larusa is going to have any real impact on this team. And, and Pedro Grafol kind of very politely dismissed that early on when asked about that. Yeah. Like if he had spoken to Tony, would he go to Tony for counsel, those kinds of things. And um, he, he didn't really have a whole lot of time for Tony being in camp and anything like that. Well, this spring's not about Tony LaRusso. This spring is all about Pedro Grafol. This spring is all about the new manager bringing the new energy with uh, however much we want to exaggerate the fielding drills and all the attention to detail. That's what spring training is about. The newness, not the old. And not to be a media critic this morning, but that's part of what we do. It was an unusual image to start a story about the 2023 White Sox. That's not the scene I would have set. I, I don't really care if Tony La is taking notes. I don't think he's going to have any impact on this team. I don't think Pedro Grafol is a puppet. 
I just don't. That was last year. That was the last two years. That was having the hand-picked guy. Now, Pedro Gafol is his own man. And maybe he's fooling me. Maybe he's fooling us and everybody. But he sounds like a guy that is going to do it his way. And that's, until proven otherwise, that's what I'm going to believe. This image of Tony LaRusa taking notes is comical to me. It's comical to think that Tony still thinks that he has sway. Maybe he does, and if he does, shame on Jerry Reinsdorf because nothing's changed. I don't want to believe that. And maybe that's the optimism of spring training, but I don't want to believe that they're dumb enough to still believe that Tony LaRusa taking notes is going to have an impact on wins and losses because that, to me, is incompatible. So Bob Nightingale quoted a lot of players. We'll talk about some of those quotes later. But I think that starting it out with Tony LaRusa is misleading because this is all about Pedro. That is a pick six. Zach Levine's averaging 31 points per game since the All-Star break, but the Bulls remain an inconsistent mess. Taking on the Nuggets tonight, you'll hear it on the score. What does that say about Zach? Is he playing his best ball of the season, yet the Bulls still can't get it together? Any hope in Denver tonight? (laughs) No. I don't really see any way. The Nuggets are, what, 30-4 and at home? They're thir- they've won 30 out of 34 games, I believe, at home. Is, is that correct? 17 games left for the Bulls. They've got to be, what, 11-6, and 12-5 and five to have any hope, possibly. That's unrealistic, too. They haven't been over 500 in four months. November 7th is the last time they've been over 500. What these numbers say is that Zach Levine is doing all that he can individually. But the, the Bulls don't function as a team. They don't have a roster that allows them to get the most out of each game, they don't shoot. They trade twos for threes. You're not going to win the NBA th- that way, and that's not a new story. Zach can get his points. He can pad his stats. He can do whatever he can. He's making better decisions. He's he's being smarter with the shot selection, but he can average all the points. 31 since the All-Star break is great for the Bulls, or great for Zach, but the Bulls still are limited defensively and don't have the right roster configuration to make a run makes me think that the next 17 games are going to feel like a long, slow slog to the end. I would say no shot on Bulls beating the Nuggets at home. Now, the number might be interesting if you're into that sort of thing. It's eight, and it's kind of, hmm, it's kind of, you know, how how engaged will the Nuggets be tonight? Do, do, they don't, they're they're fine. They're, they're, in, they're where they want to be, you know. Does the Joker want another triple double? Does he want to? You know, this is a team. You know, this should be. A, he might have a triple double after three quarters against this Bulls team, right? So is this another night for him to pad his stats on his way to a potentially third MVP uh, title? So I, I don't think so. And Zach, I, I can't figure it out. But you know, he has the thirty-something point games, but then he has like a seventeen-point game, which is a total clunker. And he scores 30 points in three quarters and then he has like four points or no points in the fourth quarter when it matters the most. So that those are the maddening things about Zach Levine's game. Yeah, I, I think the Bulls have a good 10% chance of winning. <laughs> so if I told you there's a 90% chance it's going to rain, would you bring an umbrella? So bring your umbrella. Um, I, I don't believe the Bulls are ever going to see 500 again, Dave, if, if that's the goal. They're not getting there. There's no chance that they're going to get there. They're going to be uh, out of the play-in. I know they picked up a half game by not playing. Uh, Unfortunately, they have too many games left where they're actually going to have to play for them to pick up any more ground. I'd be stunned 
if uh, if the Bulls put together a winning streak of any kind. What is their longest winning streak? Is it three games? Is it two games? It's not four games. And I don't see it starting in Denver. Um, yeah, I, I have very little hope. Let me tell you this. I am probably going to wait and watch in the morning as opposed to even tune in at 8 o'clock. Is that a late start? It's a late start. Oh, what time does game start, Dustin? That's what time not good. Right here on the score. 745 That's... pregame with Chuck, 8 o'clock yeah, tip. 8 o'clock tip. So, I mean, I don't even know if I want to ruin my stomach before I go to bed, frankly. I, hmm. I, I, That's a tough one. That's a hard, hard call. How do we? I don't want to get caught up in that nonsense. But we got to pay attention because well, you know, I'll, I'll be well. How will we know I what to up? criticize in the morning? We don't watch tonight. Good God, they are awful. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. That's the telephone number. It's a pity they have to play because I was enjoying their couple of days off. Can we get to another All Star break, please? <laughs> Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 score. I don't need some fancy cologne to tell me I'm a man. I use Skin Bracer. It smells great. But it also cools and tones my skin. Confidence is very sexy. Don't you think? Skin Bracer Aftershave by Menon. Set up this extra point. It's time for the Extra Point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. What is your take on Northwestern basketball coach Chris Collins being named the Big Ten Coach of the Year? Did you believe he was more likely to win that award or lose his job? How much time does that buy him if the basketball program can't continue its rise? Do the Cats need to win the Big Ten tourney or the NCAA tourney to justify their season? (laughs) No, I don't think so. I, I think we all are happy for Chris Collins. He's somebody that wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's somebody that I can remember the day he was introduced and the family pride and Doug Collins and then his son and all the things about the family. You're happy for a guy who succeeds after having success and then I don't want to say bottoming out but not being able to sustain that and taking responsibility and holding himself accountable. At least he said the right things and then having success again. So – you know, there's a part of me that, you know, you have to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, he they were in the tournament 2017, and then they had a big dip. And so he's coach of the year because he rebuilt a program he let slide. And I think he would be the first to acknowledge that as well. I think he even said uh, on the in one of the interviews that I saw with him on the Big Ten Network that they relaxed and exhaled after getting to the NCAA tournament for the first time ever in 2017 and so he takes responsibility for what went wrong, and that's why you're happy for somebody when things go right. This is somebody who is the easiest guy in Evanston to root for, and or he's as easy as with Fitz and Chris Collins. They have great representatives of the university, and that's what college sports are all about. So, yeah, I know Pat, Matt Painter has his supporters. I know AP gave him co-Big Ten Coach of the Year, but as far as what he's dealing with, in terms of the talent and the recruiting restrictions and limitations that they have at Northwestern and what they were able to do in a, in a Big Ten season full of parity, I'm glad for Chris Collins, and I, and I don't think they have to win the Big Ten tournament to, ju- to justify the season. I, I think I would like to see them win a game or two in the NCAA tournament rather than, you know, it, a Sweet 16 would certainly put an exclamation point on this year. But overall, things are looking up in Evanston, and it's about time because they needed this season, and he needed it, let's face it, to keep his job. It's a really good story. 
I mean, who would have thought that they would be the number two seed and not playing until Friday night at the United Center as the Big Ten tournament gets going? I mean, they were they were traditionally a team that was playing on Wednesdays and not only playing on Wednesday, but playing like in the first game on Wednesday in the Big Ten tournament. Now they don't play till like the third game in the Big Ten tournament on Friday. Here, here's the thing. I, I think they have to win that first game at bare minimum in the Big Ten tournament. They cannot lose to hopefully the Illini if they take care of business against Penn State on Thursday. You can't lose that game. And I think you need to win a game in the NCAA tournament. That's the next step, right? That's the next step for this program, not just to get there, but to survive and advance and move on to play on uh, Saturday or Sunday. So I think those are the things. Now, I don't think Chris Collins is going to lose his job if neither one of those things happen, but I think people will question whether or not they're as good as advertised if they can't win a game in the Big Ten tournament, and especially if they can't win a game in the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah, you know, the uh, the question reads, do the Cats need to win in the Big Ten tourney or the NCAA tourney to justify their season? I don't think they need to win either tournament, but they do need to win in both tournaments if they want to justify their season. Now, there's nothing wrong with with feeling that way. Um, I think Chris Collins, they were picked to finish 13th yep. in, in the Big Ten, yep. and they finished second. So that's coach of the year stuff. That's great stuff. They had two of their better players transfer to open this thing out. They lost one player to North Carolina, another to Duke, and they wind up as second in the Big Ten. So that is pretty spectacular. I know the AD has said that he's going to give them new paper. I think they're already planning an extension. He's already signed through 24-25. So I would imagine that this season buys you a minimum of three more years, if not more. Uh, congratulations to, to Coach Collins on that. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think they need to win in the tournament, the Big Ten tournament. Uh, they need to beat Illinois just just so they have their seeding set up for the NCAAs. And they'll go in as probably a – a fifth seed if that happens, and then you sh- a fifth seed should win. It's, a, it's not automatic, but you should win in your opening game in the tournament, and, I, and they're good enough to do it. So I hope the Cats have a couple games in them in the tournament, if not more, um, and I, I am excited for them. It's a wonderful turn of events for the program, and I, I do believe that he was on the cusp of losing his job. I mean, I think it was – He's 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 risen from you know one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel <laughs> to to really getting a contract extension. It's pretty extraordinary. He had a new athletic director. He was coming off a really bad year. You yep. talked about the transfer, yep. so the program was in a yep. state of kind Flux. of uncertainty. Yes. Yeah, and so now he responds to that by getting the most out of this roster. And you watch Northwestern play; they win because they have talent, but they win a lot because they're well coached. Yeah. Uh, very well coached, and it's it's a great job, and it's good to see. And here's hoping, right? Here's hoping that they uh, make some noise in the tournament. Go Cats! Go Cats! 312-644-6767. Mully and Hall on the score. Meow. What the hell? <laughs> cats. Stay out of White Sox business. <laughs> Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 in the score. 
I don't, am I too easily triggered by the White Sox? Is that what has it happened at long last? David? Well, I think if you're asking that in the context of yesterday, I, there are two different issues here. Number one, I could answer the question easily to that. Yeah, you are a little yes. easily triggered by Thank the White you. Sox. Uh, but yesterday, I kind of understand that. So if we're talking here on, on Wednesday morning, I get it. I, under, I was triggered as well, and I'm not typically that sensitive to White Sox matters or or looking for a reason to be agitated by by the uniform or the I, logo. I feel like they actively try to I agitate do they, I know you do. I know. I, know. I, I, I shouldn't. I, I should be more sensible about it, but I do. So I want to get the, to the this. The whole Tony La Russa thing. I mean, listen, the Clevenger thing would trigger anyone, but the Tony La Russa thing, what, what is that? What is that? Well, Tony La Russa described as taking notes in, in Jerry Reinsdorf's suite by Bob Nightingale in the USA Today story on Tuesday morning, did have an odd approach to this spring training update projection look-ahead story on the White Sox, only because I feel like, feel like if you're writing a story about what's new about the White Sox, it's peculiar to me or an unorthodox approach to Remind everybody about, you know, looking back to look forward. I don't think it's necessary in the case of Tony La Russa, given all that. You know, it seems like a long time ago now. And I think you want to move on from that now. And I think the White Sox are trying to. But there he is, the image of him next to Jerry Reinsdorf taking notes for reasons that we still don't know about. <laughs> it, was an, it was just an un, unusual different way to start a story about the new White Sox in 2023. Right. I thought we'd kind of move beyond that. And and frankly, um, every time you've heard from Pedro Griffol when he's talked about what it was like facing the White Sox, he said the same thing. I've heard him say it at least three times where he talks about how, well, you never knew which team was going to show up, whether they were – like basically he's saying they didn't try enough. They, they had talent, but they did not – even make a half-assed effort. That's kind of what he's saying. If I can put it through a translator, the way I paraphrasing, yes, yeah. I this is how I hear these the Molly interpretation. Thank you. Buddy. I think I like that. Dustin, though, I want to give an opportunity here. He claimed that not claimed. He believes that there are some really interesting quotes in that story that came from players and Rick Hahn. That okay. I'll grant you that, but my my reaction to that would be like, what do you think they're going to say? This is a team that underachieved last year, the most disappointing team in baseball. If they don't sound the right tone, then that would stand out to me more than what mm. they said in terms of trying to turn things around because they have to. I was just surprised by what seems to be open and honest dialogue, I guess. you know, Joe Kelly was open and honest, but he's never met a microphone that he doesn't like but I mean Rick Hahn I think we all feel the disappointment and frankly the embarrassment how the year played out we had high expectations coming off a division championship in 21 ready to take the next step we let all of ourselves down by not achieving close to that level I think talking to the guys there's a strong sense we have something to prove to our fans the rest of baseball and frankly to ourselves in that clubhouse I mean to me that's he's delivering a message like didn't he deliver that on the first day of spring training yeah well, I guess think the that other, that's new? the other part of this. If you heard us during the pick six, you know, are these fresh quotes? But here, this one is why I think it's fresh. We got away from playing the game with focus, attention to detail, and high energy, Han said. Injuries forced us into that, but it's been a priority of Pedro and his staff since day one, and I think it's been reflected on how we've gone about our business so far this year. I, I think it's still from two weeks ago or three weeks ago. 
Maybe were, not. They were more aggressive yesterday on the base paths. You know, seemed like they were trying to get an extra base. They were trying to run more. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't. What don't about the what, family stuff? What about the Abreu comments? Tim Anderson also backing it up that we're well, that's working why on I togetherness. Think, that's why I think these are old quotes from Rick Hahn because if you have an opportunity to talk to him You'd and the story came out yesterday, you've got to ask him about Jose Abreu. You've right. got to. Right. You've got a team leader that is respected to the point where yes. people are debating whether or not he should have his number retired, saying you weren't a family last year, and you've got the general manager in front of him, and you don't ask him that. Or, is, or is that another story that's coming, right? Like, I mean, could, t- could later he, today, could we have another story that's more centered on that particular well, I, aspect I mean, of things? Well, I mean, you know, look. Maybe. Abreu, Doubt it. Abreu there's an element of, of being hurt by their – lack of a contract offer. He th- you know, when he says family, he probably thought he was going to play here forever and they've moved on from him. So I think that there is an element of uh, of a guy that's had his feelings hurt. And it's not surprising. I think many professional athletes have been through that sort of thing when the team moves on from them before they're ready uh, to, to move on from the team. Well, it's just a natural kind of reaction. Three years, $60 million is a lot of money you to You should pay. feel good about Somebody, yeah, he should feel good about that. And maybe you're right that the Sox weren't willing to go to that level. I can almost understand that's a defensible argument, why they didn't want to invest in Jose Abreu coming back. Um, what he said about the dysfunction or the lack of togetherness is something Tim Anderson echoed and seconded and said that Jose sure. Abreu was right. Anybody paying attention understood that. I would have liked to have heard Rick Hahn respond to that, though. If I'm reading about his thoughts on Pedro Graffol and what's going right about spring training, I think I would have wanted to know directly what he says and thinks about Jose Abreu, team leader, bashing the Sox last season. And and I, you know, quite frankly, don't want to read about Tony floating around the operation. I, don't I mean, no offense to anyone. <laughs> I mean, Tony had a Hall of Fame career as a manager, and, you know, I understand – what Jerry's thinking was this weird make good from some thing that happened a long time ago, whatever. But that, that is really, that did not work. And it ruined what was kind of planned at that particular time. So I don't think I, I just don't think I want to have that idea or that excuse as a texter says, now they have an excuse. I, I just would like to move on from that era and I'd like to give Pedro Grafol a chance to do his thing. And Let him be him. Let Pedro Grafol establish his but it, his personality it, and his define what he's going to it be. Goes, it goes back to the main question, though: Who's in charge of the White Sox? Who's who's well, who's calling the shots if, on the White Sox? If Tony Larusa is taking notes in Jerry Reinsdorf's suite as they watch Pedro Grafol work, it makes you wonder that. It reinforces this exactly. mystery. And that that's the biggest problem in terms of clarify that, will you? Well, just say I, it's, it's hey. not it's not clarified, and they they're not going to do no, that. No, because it's all a team, and that way you can't blame one individual. They need to play some games. They need the season to start. They, they need, need Pedro Grafol to yeah. have some sort of uh, moment or series of moments to where we start to identify him with the White Sox because that's what's new. Tony LaRusso is so yesterday and is so last season, and that's why I think it was an odd choice to begin a, season, a story about the season that is ahead by looking back to what was wrong last season. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, God, it was a disaster. Triggered you, didn't it? It triggered yeah. me because it had nothing to do with moving forward, and it bothered me because 
really, are we just going to rework this ground? And frankly, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, Bob or his story. I'm talking about the White Sox. Right. And how they were I, running their operation. I did like what the Elvis Andrews had to say about Oscar Colas. I, I like the way Oscar sure. Colas looked at the plate against the Brewers. And this is a guy in right field as a rookie is going to make his presence felt. Yeah, here's hoping. And, you know, let's move on with it. All right. 3-1-2 in, in, the, in the Cuban national team lost to uh, the Netherlands yesterday, I guess. Did so you I'll record that too? That's the game I recorded. Oh, that was okay. the first game right. of the whole enterprise. Uh, and it was on at, I think, was it 11 p.m. or something? Whatever time it was on. Get some sleep, man. FX1, Get some sleep. channel it was on. Were you watching no, it? I will, I will watch it when okay. I go home. I, I you know, I, I, I'm interested. I'm interested in, uh, in watching some baseball. Did you see that, uh, that, uh, that it's a pity that Seiya Suzuki's not with Japan because Otani hit not one, but two three-run homers in uh, their, I guess, their exhibition game. Before I did they see start. that. I did see that. I, I'm, all, I'm all about Otani this year. I will be able to tell you on a daily basis I, what his average Suzuki, is and how many home runs he Suzuki has. Suzuki could not be there to, like, hug him, congratulations, come to the Cubs. Yeah. Right? That's well, what you were expecting. That, that's what I'm missing out on as much as anything. That's my biggest interest in the WBC. Mully and Haw, <laughs> Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 the score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.